this is David with Skeptics and Seekers, and I'm joined by David with Skeptics and Seekers. Yeah, Dale's not here, nor Randall. It's just me. Uh, so this is a special supplemental. It's me and actually all of you as well. We're gonna we're gonna be looking at uh, some of your feedback, and I just want to warn you in advance. This uh, supplemental. This was gonna be a special feedback edition at the time that I planned to do this. We only had one piece of feedback that I was going to go over, and that was from Joyce uh, on the subject of original sin. But since that time, we have been flooded with feedback. Unfortunately, unless you want a four-hour podcast, and I doubt that you do, I certainly don't, we're going to have to break this up into several podcasts. In fact, I suspect that this is just going to be a weekly, maybe maybe something that we do two or three times a week. As we get comments in, we'll just do special supplementals throughout the week. And so they can just show up in your feed at any time, kind of like this one. Uh, and so today, we are basically going to, to just deal with Joyce's feedback. And so all of you who have feedback uh, in there, we've got it. I haven't missed it. It's coming. Uh, keep listening. Maybe tomorrow, maybe the next day. There will be a podcast. You will be featured. Uh, but for now, we're going we're gonna to deal with Joyce uh, because she brought up a very interesting issue on original sin. Now, this is all back from the show on the failure of the fall, which, uh, which has gotten a lot of, of play, and uh, I, I thought it would. And so uh, Joyce uh, had a few things to say about it, and uh, she's an interesting uh, person to watch because she has recently had some opinion shifts. Joyce is a Christian. Uh, Dale has also gone through some shifts in his thinking on this subject, uh, I believe. This, is, this has been something that's been a little bit volatile for him. Uh, and so it's been interesting watching these two Christians think through this out loud, uh, as it were. And then Dale and I had some time on the phone uh, earlier this week to just talk about it and go through it from a, a biblical perspective to, to see what the Bible actually said. And so I just, I wanted to share some of this conversation with Joyce and Dale, because I think that it's a, it's a fairly crucial subject for Christians. And I, I want to leave this, put, start with this question, just put this out there uh, for the listeners, and you can be Christian or non-Christian. It's okay. Um, the um, the doctrine of original sin. Do you think that that is a fundamental doctrine for Christianity, or can you just jettison it and still be okay? Do you think that original sin is a necessary doctrine for Christianity? Or can you just jettison it and be okay? I'd be really curious about your answer. I would also like you to chime in, uh, once again, either Christian or non-Christian, and tell me what you think the doctrine of original sin is. Because you might think that you know uh, what we're talking about when we talk about original sin, but there are at least a couple of different ideas, uh, major ideas that somewhat conflict. So we're going to go over some of that today. So when you do answer the first question, please chime in with uh, the second question. What do you think original sin 
means. Uh, I'd just be curious to see where we go there. Now, before we start with reading the comments, and I'm going to do the reading, I, I can tell you I hate reading things out loud because I don't see well and I'm, I'm staring at a screen, and even though I've got the print large, you know, the, the, the letters dance and I, and I sound like a person who can't read very well. And my reading is actually, you know, I'm a very good reader. But uh, I, I take it slow, and I do it by myself, and I usually don't do it in public. And so this is why I dump a lot of the reading off on Dale, who is not with me today. And so I will struggle through my own reading. i got to tell you, if we do this uh, a lot, and i got a feeling we will, I'm probably just going to uh, record electronic versions of the readings and, and let that stand, because I hate reading out loud. Anyway, I'm going to be doing a lot of reading out loud. I'm sorry. Uh, We're going to start with Romans uh, chapter 5, because this discussion largely centers around Romans chapter 5, the verses between 12 and 19. So I'm just going to read all of that first, and uh, and then we're going to jump right into uh, Joyce's comments. So then, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all people because all sinned. For before the law was given, sin was in the world, but there is no accounting for sin when there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam until Moses, even over those who did not sin in the same way that Adam who is a type of the coming one, transgressed. Now, I want to pause there for just a moment, because one of the arguments coming up uh, pretty soon is what actually transpired when Adam and Eve sinned, uh, and, and what is the original sin that we're talking about? Are we, are we tainted with the guilt of Adam's sin, or... Are we simply tainted with one of the consequences of a sin, uh, physical death? And this passage right off the bat seems to, even though it uses the word death, it seems to be talking about something other than physical death. So in Christian speak, there are two kinds of death. There's physical death, and so we'll call that death with a small d, and spiritual death, and we'll call that death with a large d. And I think most of the time when death is discussed, uh, particularly in the New Testament under Paul's theology, it's death with a large D. So that encompasses both physical death and spiritual death. Spiritual death is uh, defined as separation from God. So physical death, uh, Christians would define that as when the soul leaves the body. And then spiritual death is when when the soul is separated from God. And so Christians would say uh, we are joined with God. We're one with God in our lifetime. And when we sin, that creates a barrier between us and God. And thus we're in a state of death. So I just wanted to give you some background as Paul talks about this. So he says, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin... I don't want you to make the mistake that I think that Joyce is going to make later and say, oh, well, that's, that's just talking about physical death. Because, yes, physical death was a part of the punishment. Uh, but the, the construction of this 
seems to be talking about much more than that. And so death spread to all people because all sinned. Now ask yourself, what if there was someone who didn't sin? Would they not physically die? Well, of course they would physically die. But death still spread to them. And so what kind of death are we talking about that spreads because of sin? That would be the spiritual death, the second death, death with a, death with a capital D, the separation uh, from God. So I'm going to pick up uh, at verse 15 uh, where I left off. But the gracious gift is not like the transgression for... If the many died through the transgression of the one man, how much more did the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, multiply to many? And the gift is not like the one who sinned, for judgment resulting from the one transgression led to condemnation. But the gracious gift from the many failures led to justification. For if by the transgression of the one man, death reigned through the one How much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one Jesus Christ? So, uh, again, uh, looking at the words death and life, we're not talking about uh, physical death. We're not talking about physical life. We're talking about uh, spiritual realities. Uh, And I think uh, I think that's pretty clear there. Uh, Verse 18, I'm going to come back to that, uh, to this later too, but I want to go ahead and read it now while it's in front of me. Consequently, just as condemnation for all people came through one transgression, so too through the one righteous act came righteousness leading to life for all people. For just as through the disobedience of the one man, many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, many will be made sinners. Righteous. I'll stop the reading right there, uh, verse 19. So uh, we see here that we've moved from the language of death coming through one man to the language of condemnation coming through one transgression. And uh, through that uh, one transgression, we're all made sinners. So... uh, as as we read through the comments, you'll see um, why this becomes important. And so rather than pontificate further on that right now, I'm just going to dive right into Joyce's comment that that spurred this uh, this particular supplemental in the first place. Dale, thanks for your efforts in putting together some very informative blogs, complete with many links, which I usually copy and paste into documents for future references. I do want to go ahead and step out of the comment for a minute and say thank you, Dale, for that as well. Dale does a much better job uh, in making notes and uh, providing links to follow up on the things that he talks about. I tend not to, but uh, I, I do want to go ahead and acknowledge Dale uh, for the work that he does that uh, there. And maybe I can be shamed into doing some of it too, but I doubt it. Uh, picking back up uh, with, uh, with Joyce, I'd just like to add a couple of comments based on gleanings from Old Testament scholar Mike Heiser. I recommend his blog at nakedbible.com as well as his book, the Unseen Realm. Uh, Peter uh, A. has read more by Heiser. One 
Heiser points out a multiple on multiple blog posts related to Romans 5.12 that humankind did not inherit guilt from Adam. We inherited mortality. Uh, and then she uh, quotes this bit from it. So then, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all people because all sinned. So, yes, there are infants and mentally incapacitated people who do not consciously choose to rebel against God. They are innocent. You had a different term for them during the podcast, which I can't recall. So that's half of uh, Joyce's post. And I want to I want to stop there uh, and cover this. I want to I just want to mention some things about Joyce. Usually I don't like to cross the streams from one podcast uh, or from one website to another. But Joyce is a prolific commenter. Uh, on the unbelievable uh, podcast board. And so when there are uh, unbelievable podcasts, uh, which uh, I was just on with uh, with Andrew uh, this past week, and that was a lot of fun. Uh, but Joyce usually comes in around Wednesday or Thursday, and she usually makes uh, a comment that is, is a little bit longer, very thoughtful, and uh, relevant to the subject, and so it's one of the reasons I, I like to talk with Joyce. And you know, we've we've been talking back and forth for the better part of five years uh, over on the Unbelievable board. And you can go and watch some of that if you uh, follow Unbelievable. You can uh, look at the the discuss uh, comments underneath each show. And around Wednesday or Thursday, Joyce usually comes around. And she usually has something very interesting to say. So in some of the earlier history. I have had with Joyce. Joyce has claimed, has made claims to the effect that, in fact, there there were no innocent people, uh, not even children, because we were all uh, covered under original sin. This goes back to your idea of what original sin is. Uh, we're we're born into sin. The Catholics have a notion of original sin that you've got to christen babies because uh, they're they're part of the original sin. Factor and they have to be baptized or christened uh, to to remove that stain of sin, as it were. So this this was Joyce's view at one point, and she has gone through some changes of that view, so that now it's not that we are uh, receiving the guilt from original the original sin of Adam, but rather just mortality. And as I've already pointed out uh, when I read verse 12, even if you don't go any further than verse 12, it's talking about much more than mortality. Uh, And so I think that one of the reasons that a person like Joyce would go to this idea and kind of overturn the history of thinking on original sin is because she understands instinctively also, I would say we've had many debates where she didn't fare very well. Joyce, you're free to, to rejoin to that if you like. Uh, but uh, it's, it's somewhat problematic if you say God is punishing people for Adam's sin. Now, whereas I say, yeah, it's problematic, it's, very, uh, it's, it's evil, in fact, that is not unlike the God of the Bible throughout the Old Testament in multiple places. Uh, it boasts that God punishes uh, the children even up to the third and fourth generation for the sins of the father. God is a generational punisher. So 
you, there's there's no getting around that if you take the Bible seriously and somewhat literally. And you, fixing, trying to fix the, the doctrine of original sin by saying, well, we only get mortality from Adam uh, and not his guilt, doesn't really make sense of the God of the rest of the Bible, who who is very much a generation, generational punisher. Uh, also, we can't parse uh, those words as, as neatly as Joyce would like. So she would like to make a difference between receiving the, let's say, the punishment of Adam, which uh, for her is just mortality, and not receiving, uh, not having the guilt of Adam or the condemnation. But Paul here uses two words. He doesn't just use death, and when he uses it, he's not really talking about mortality at all. He also uses condemnation, and that is a word that we would think of associated with guilt. If we say that the prisoner has been condemned, it's because we have declared that prisoner guilty, and then there will be uh, a punishment equal to that condemnation to follow. And you just can't separate those two concepts. You can't say uh, that God uh, mortally kills the children of Adam because of the sin of Adam and somehow get away from this, this generational curse thing that you're, that you're trying to get away from. Uh, it, it doesn't really work because if, if we review the, uh, the sin of Adam, well, it was, it was eating a piece of fruit. Now, granted, this was magic fruit, but there is nothing inherent about eating a piece of fruit that transfers sin. It, it, it's as if people are suggesting that sin is a sexually transmitted disease that literally travels through semen from person to person. And because we have Adam's seed, we are, we are sinners. And, and Adam got this, um, this DNA altering curse from the fruit. Well, that's one way of looking at it, but that's, that's a pretty magical curse. And it would take an act of God uh, to do that. That is not something that just happens when you, when you eat a piece of fruit. Uh, in fact, today we can eat a piece of poison fruit and the result is you'll probably die. That doesn't mean your kids are going to die, uh, but you're, you're probably going to die. Sorry. Uh, so for all of your kids to die and for everyone who came in contact with you to die, there's more than eating a piece of poison fruit involved. God would have to be taking a hand in that punishment. Another way to look at sin would be to say, well, sin is a miasma that hangs over the earth. And it, it wasn't there before, but once uh, Adam ate the fruit, then this, this fog of sin entered the earth's ecosystem. And now everything on earth is tainted with this sin. And there's, so it's like, it's like breathing poison air. Uh, so yeah, we get physical death from that, but we also uh, become sinners through that too, somehow. This is, this is not a notion that really makes a lot of sense, because once again, you have to ask, well, how did this poison fog get here? That's, that's not something that is released from a piece of fruit. That's God actively deciding to curse the human race and to curse creation uh, as a response to what Adam did. And so once again, you can't, you can't uh, separate God from his response of 
just crazily cursing the human race uh, because of what Adam did. So I don't, I'm not sure what you gain from trying to parse out uh, sin in this way, trying to distinguish mortality from uh, capital D death. The Bible doesn't really do that. Now, before we get back to the uh, discussion of original sin, I want to pick up on the second part of Joyce's post. And uh, she was commenting on uh, the in his image part of the discussion that we had. So uh, Joyce continues Two David focused quite a while in the podcast on the concept of humans being made in the image of God. Genesis 126. David said we're God's offsprings, his babies, as it were. He argued that because we were made in God's image, we should have the capacity not to sin. Yes, I did argue that way, Joyce. Uh, in response to his argument, I would simply say that we are uh, we humans are ontologically different from God. We are not his offspring. You mentioned that he is creator. We are create uh, creatures. He is a spirit being. We are human beings. I appreciate your clarifying comment here, which uh, you added subsequent uh, to the podcast about God's communicable and incommunicable attributes. Yeah, okay, we'll come back to that. Let me, let me finish reading. Uh, further, Heiser explains uh, that the Hebrew grammar in Genesis 126 is important. In fact, the little preposition in has many different meanings in English, including as, for example. One could say, I work in education, which means that I work as a teacher, or perhaps as a principal. Heiser says to uh, says the Hebrew preposition translated in in Genesis one twenty six functions similarly. So one could say that humankind was created as God's image or to be his image, his imagers. It is what we are by definition. He goes on to say the image is not an ability we have, but a status. We are God's representatives on earth to be human as is, uh, as, excuse me, to be human is to image God, the unseen realm, page 40 through 43. So to reiterate, to be made in the image of God does not offer, uh, I'm sorry, does not refer to abilities or properties uh, we possess. It refers to our status. I like that Heiser uses the word image as a verb, Humans image God. Here's a link uh, to a short YouTube where Heiser explains the above concept. I'm not going to try to read out that link. It'll be in the notes. One brief technical comment. Read the podcast. Uh, I'll get back to the technical uh, comment in a, in a moment, Joyce, uh, if there's time. So one of the one of the things I would like to observe uh, in this from my time uh, when I was a Christian doing this type of exegesis, when you wanted to disagree with the main body of understanding on a particular passage, you just go to the Hebrew or the Greek and you parse it out a little bit and you find a little bitty preposition or a word or Something where you can say, ah, but this could have multiple meanings. Maybe actually what it means is this. This is what I call uh, the unfortunate trans uh, unfortunate translation out. 
Okay, and so you can you can have an out with just about any passage if you claim, well, that's you know that's okay, but that's really an unfortunate translation. A better translation would be, and so there there is enough room uh, in Hebrew and Greek. And by the way, English to uh, to pull the unfortunate translation trick on every passage you don't like. So I am I am not convinced by uh, this Heiser's reach for the unfortunate translation tool. Uh, that, that just doesn't uh, mean much to me at all. So you, you take uh, made in his image uh, to mean, oh, well, no, no, no. What, what that means is actually your image bearers. But I would say that that doesn't actually cohere very well, at least to my mind, uh, because an image bearer would still have to um, would have to have a, enough traits of the the image that he's supposed to bear. Unless you say, now we can talk about a flag bearer. A flag bearer is not the flag. And the flag bearer is just one that carries a flag, and the flag is a symbol of uh, the troops. And so, uh, if you're talking about image bearer for God. I would need more explanation on exactly how we are bearing that image without being that image, because we are made in the image of God or as the image of God. And I don't I just don't see how that changes uh, what what the writer is saying. So if we are if we are God's image to be held up to the world, then we have to have some of those uh, characteristics of God. Otherwise, we don't make for a very good image. So I don't I don't think that argument makes a lot of sense to me. But I, I mostly want to talk about the idea of God's incommunicable versus his communicable characteristics. And what, so what that what I argued uh, on the podcast is that it doesn't make sense for God to have made inferior creatures who are nothing like him and then call us his children. Because we are called the children of God. So either we're the children of God or we're not the children of God. I don't, I'm not sure what that designation means otherwise. But um, in, in fact, saying that it means adoption doesn't really help either. Uh, we can adopt a pet uh, and we can talk about the pet as our family, but it's not the same as uh, one of our children in legal terms. So I don't, I don't think that the adoption terminology gets you out of this. Uh, so... Trying to explain why God would make creatures so different from him, I think, requires more gymnastics than what Joyce is able to provide here and what Heiser is able to provide. So let's look at some of the attributes of God. God is a spirit. Okay, what is a spirit? We could we could have a podcast on that question all by itself. And if you want to write in on that, I'd be curious to see what uh, some of the responses are. What is a spirit? Anyway, whatever it is, God is a spirit. We also assume that God is disembodied. What, what does it mean to be disembodied? Uh, so he has no material. He's not made of anything. Uh, how is that uh, not indistinguishable from nothing? Um, Andrew um, made that point uh, in a podcast uh, not very long ago, so I'm going to give him credit for that. Uh, but whatever God is, whatever the spirit thing is, this is the ontological nature of God. Uh, in fact, we we presume this is all that God's universe has entailed from eternity past. 
before there was any matter and stuff and supernovas uh, and positive energy and negative energy, there was just whatever this spirit realm was. Now, at some point, a thought had to enter God's mind that he wants to create uh, some creatures that would bear his image. Another subject that I would like to talk about. Why on earth would God need this? Um, but he wants to he wants to create some creatures that would bear his image. But he wants to make them very different from him. So he is a spirit being that is non-corporeal. And he says to himself, what I need is some corporeal beings. That doesn't make sense. And you say, well, that's a non-communicable attribute of God. Well, that doesn't make sense. You're just just saying things at that point. Why is it non-communicable to create purely spirit beings like himself? I mean, he's not an impossible being, and so I don't see why it's impossible uh, to create other beings. You say, um, well, why then should these uh, flesh beings who are image bearers of God be able to sin and be able to choose? Well, let's look at the attribute of God. God can't sin, according to many Christians. I mean, I'm sure there's some Christians who would disagree with that, but I think that the bulk of... uh, traditional Christianity of Orthodox Christianity would say that God can't sin. It's not that he doesn't sin. It's not that God is choosing from moment to moment not to sin. It is his nature that he cannot sin. So fine, if it is his nature that he cannot sin, then when he creates, especially he creates an image bearer, why create an image bearer that can sin? Why gift this image bearer with attributes he doesn't have? It seems to to be able to to create someone with the ability to sin, God is specifically going through extra work to make this being like this. It seems like anything that God would naturally create would be naturally like himself and not sin, especially since he wants beings that bear his image. But instead, he goes through the extra step of giving us the ability that he doesn't have, which is the ability to sin. That doesn't make sense. And you don't get out of it just by saying, ah, that's an incommunicable attribute and uh, putting a period on it. That that doesn't work. Uh, and that has to be explained. And so uh, I do believe that uh, here that's, that's a bit of an overreach uh, for Joyce. We might get back to this subject. Moving on, though. Let me pick pick up uh, Joyce again on the subject. We're coming back to uh, original sin. We've talked about uh, incommunicable uh, attributes uh, and uh, the denial of original sin. This is kind of a long one, but I'm going to read it anyway. This is from Dale to Joyce, and uh, I thought it was very pertinent to this uh, discussion. So here we go. Joyce, thank you very much for the kind comments. I must admit, uh, it has heartened me hearing that you have found some benefit in my efforts and also utilize uh, my further sources, uh, source material that I provide, plus go over my following, uh, follow-up comments as well. I have also saved some of the sources you have provided to me as well. I find them helpful in my own understanding at times as well. Let me just say that you are exactly the type of person for which I'm doing this podcast. You go beyond just listening to it and take advantage of the sources, follow-up comments provided for assessment and making your own judgment. 
Let me just say that listeners like you make all the effort that David and I put into doing the show worthwhile. Same goes for others who've done likewise, whether you be Christian, skeptic, seeker, or some other religious adherent. I just want to pause for a moment and say uh, loud cheers, and I, I fully glum on to that comment. Thanks for your take on the image of God and that video. I remember encountering the status interpretation of the image of God. I think that was an aspect that totally slipped my mind as I got caught up in the distinguishing attributes which could allow for God to be morally determined, uh, see, as a perfection or good thing, while humans are not morally determined. And once again, that would be seen as a good thing. So I hope my argument based on God's moral perfection in relation to his incommunicable attributes provides that explanation as to the difference uh, there. But you raised a good point that we mustn't forget about the status aspect of being made in the image of God. Uh, Original sin follow-up, I see David... Excuse me. I see David responding below with a question. I want to ask you, original sin is not a doctrine I want to preserve as I find it problematic and prefer the view you espouse. Now, let me just pause here. Notice, uh, remember, at the beginning of this, I asked, do you believe that original sin is a necessary doctrine? Uh, at this point, Dale is saying no. Uh, so I really am curious what you think. Getting back to the, the comment. I want to see uh, the fall as causing us to spiritually inherit a sinful inclination or disease so that in light of the consequences of sin in creation and our sinful inclinations, all humans eventually sin as opposed to their being guilty of committing the sin of Adam's choice itself. I see this as problematic. Thank goodness David didn't pick on this during the show. Hey, Dale, I'm right here, buddy. Anyway, uh, but since I don't see God as judging humans for their actions in other possible worlds, for example, there's a possible world in which both you and I aren't saved, for example. So why is God judging us for what we would have done had we been in Adam's circumstances? I'm not sure what the answer to this uh is, or if there is a difference between God's judging us based on Adam's actions due to what we would have done in his place, and God not judging me for not placing my faith in Jesus if, I had, uh, if he had created a world with a red sky, for example. The only options I can think of at the moment would be to say Jesus died for the sins of every logical possible world, which would be a little weird, to be honest, since salvation seems to be only based on what, uh, whether we actually choose to place our faith in Christ in the actual world with no consideration to the logical possible worlds in which David J. is still a Christian and gets saved, for example. The other option is the one you take, deny the doctrine of original sin, but on that front, I'm wondering what you make of Romans 5.18, for example, as it's not just based on Romans 12. Do you know uh, how Heiser or other scholars interpret the verses? 
that verse and uh, a way that doesn't imply the doctrine of original sin. Or there could be some other option which preserves original sin but explains why or how it works uh, in such a way that would make sense to me. But I'm, I'm just oblivious to it at the moment. Take care, Dale. So we see um, Dale struggling uh, with his doctrine of original sin, and he seems to, he, he would like to jettison it as it stands right now or find a way to reinterpret it. And I would say that this is a, a dangerous path for Christians. When I was a Christian, uh, I would not have recommended this path that Dale is on because this is how you come up with a God and a religion that looks exactly like you and agrees with you. Once you, once you understand what the Bible means, you, you have two choices. You can accept it or not accept it. But if, you, if what you do is just find ways to massage it until it agrees with your moral sensibilities, then you're not really following the Bible anymore at all. You're, you're creating your own Bible, your own creed, your own religion. Uh, and so I think that Dale, probably Joyce, and uh, definitely Heiser are well on their way to creating their own religion, their own Bible. And I expect uh, that they will probably have something to say about that. But um, yeah, that's that's kind of how I see it. And uh, as far as Romans 18, I just want to remind you what that says. Consequently, just as condemnation for all people came through one transgression. Let's stop right there and back up. Condemnation for all people came through one transgression. What do you mean by condemnation, Paul? This is the problem. I think that Dale understands that you cannot just say, oh, well, it's, he's only talking about mortality here. This, this is a word that goes further than that. And, and then verse 19, uh, which he alludes to, uh, for just as through the disobedience of one man, many were made sinners. Well, what does it mean that we were made sinners through the disobedience of one man? Uh, were we are, are we sinners from birth? Well, if you ask King David, the poet, he says that he was a sinner from his mother's womb. So he actually thinks that we do inherit sin through birth. And many Christians parrot that. So I, I don't know what Christians uh, think about that because we have Christians on, on many sides of, of this issue. So what do you think about it? I'd like to I'd like to see that in the comments. Are you a sinner from birth? Or are you are you somehow made sinners after the fact of birth, after you've passed some uh, undefinable age of accountability? And, and then are you only a sinner after you commit your first sin or are you a sinner because you because you were just here in this world of sin? So uh, the thing that Dale is trying to explore here is, uh, did we inherit the mere inclination to sin? Uh, which is to say, if we wanted to, we could not sin. So we have the, we have the we have the ability to sin. We even kind of have a desire to sin, but we could fight it. If we want it to. Well, I can say that that's not mainstream, at least from my side of the Christian stream that I was on. 
uh, you could not fight it. You were going to sin. Sin is inevitable. Uh, now, what Dale would say to this is, well, in a Molinistic way, in a middle knowledge kind of way, God looked down the stream of time and he just knows that everyone is going to sin. So even though you could fight it, you won't fight it, and God knows that. But I, I would um, just respect, respectfully disagree with that uh, interpretation, too. I'm not going to spend much time on it because it's not uh, a very mainstream view of how this works. Furthermore, to further separate this from the idea of physical death uh, being in view, uh, we're made sinners, and through sin we die. Uh, once again, we don't suffer physical death at the point we sin. I mean, that's not why we die. Uh, it is It is because of the capital D separation from God death uh, that that Paul has in view here. So I, I can see where where Dale and Joyce are struggling with these ideas. Uh, but I, I think the struggle uh, is going to fail. I just want to uh, mention the, the note that um, Joyce had um, uh, earlier that I, that I skipped over. And it was about the podcast feed, so this is just a small break from some of the, the heavier topics. Joyce says, uh, one brief technical comment, read the podcast. I would like uh, if there were some way in which I could move, scroll backward uh, to, uh, I, I don't know what that word is, to uh, something that I, uh, to, to, yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure what that is, uh, to something that I didn't quite catch because I'm usually multitasking. As it is, if I miss something and want to listen again, I have to go right back to the beginning and listen to the whole podcast again. Is this Andrew's domain? Maybe I just uh, need to stop multitasking and focus uh, on one thing at a time. So, uh, Joyce, I appreciate your commitment to going back to the beginning every time you get distracted. Let me just add, that's too much commitment. Uh, and so although this was uh, answered on the board, just in case anyone else has this issue too, what you're doing is you're clicking on the link and you're going to Anchor and you're listening to it on Anchor. And Anchor does not have any transport controls, uh, which is forward and back and that sort of thing. So all, they, all that you can do is stop and start on Anchor. What I recommend everyone do is go to your pod feed of choice, uh, which would be iTunes, uh, uh, Podcasts, uh, Google, uh, Stitcher, uh, pretty much everywhere where fine podcasts are served up for free. And hit subscribe. Subscribe is not a pay thing. There is no obligation. All it means is that you get the new podcasts as soon as they post. And this really happens as soon as I post the podcast uh, on my end, within seconds, it's in your podcast feed and you will get it. So do that and then you'll have all of the controls of, of your podcast. Uh, so I am sorry about that. And also, this is not Andrew's uh, doing. So Andrew has done all of the coding and the work on Reason Press. On Skeptics and Seekers, this is all my work. So anything that goes wrong on Skeptics and Seekers, uh, it's mine. By the way, anything that goes right on Skeptics and Seekers, that's mine too. Hello, just saying. But in this case, this is about something that went terribly wrong. And so uh, apologies there. Uh, let me... Let me pick up with Dale. Uh, we're almost done here, but this this 
discussion was so important, and I want you to I want you to get the fullest picture uh, of it. So uh, Joyce Joyce writes back uh, and says, "Hi, Dell." Uh, Heiser has a lengthy series of blog posts related to Romans 5.12 and related passages on his website. I worked my way through his posts as well as uh, reader comments a few weeks ago. They're all very stimulating reading, and as a result, I've changed my view on original sin. That is, I no longer believe the Bible teaches that we inherit guilt from Adam. This is very important because Joyce did, in fact, believe that we inherited guilt from Adam. In fact, she made many... Uh, arguments based on that idea. So if you do follow Joyce in other places, uh, understand that she has uh, changed her view in a very significant way uh, on original sin. Uh, She goes on to say, the very real dilemma with the traditional view of original sin is that Jesus, as fully human, would also have inherited guilt from Adam. If that be the case, then he would not qualify as the perfect, i.e. guiltless sacrifice uh, in Heiser's view, then uh, overcome Heiser's view then overcomes this dilemma. Humankind, including Jesus, did not inherit guilt from Adam. We inherited mortality and death. Now, if you ask yourself why a person makes a, a major doctrinal change, one of the reasons, once again, drawing back on my uh, old Christian days, you make a doctrinal change when you realize that the current doctrinal view you have leaves you in a bind. And Joyce finds herself in a bind. And so she had to find a way uh, to, to deal with that bind. And so whereas that's, I, I guess that's a good motivation to change your view, it, it makes theology very iffy. If all thought theology is, is whatever your current view happens to be that you're currently comfortable with. So I, I think that's a, a fairly dangerous way to do theology. In one, of, in one of his posts, see the link below, Heiser explains that mortality means the universal propensity and inevitability of sin. So all humans, if allowed to live, will sin, i.e. rebel against God. Once again, I don't see how you uh, cut this that finely. I don't see the difference between saying we inherit the guilt of Adam and we inherit a disease from Adam, which means that we are inevitably going to sin and thus suffer from the condemnation of Adam. At the end of the day, it's the same condemnation because you're going to sin. You have no choice but to sin. It is inevitable. And you got that from Adam. So I, I just don't see how you get out of this dilemma. Uh, in, in that way. Also, just to comment on Jesus uh, being the perfect sacrifice, this this comes from a misunderstanding of biology because we're not dealing with people from the year 2000. We're not dealing with people from our time. These people had very little, if any, knowledge of genetics whatsoever, and so they thought that in telling the story, if they could take the Jesus uh, take Jesus out of the semen pool of Adam and make him to be a miraculous birth. Uh, and, and he was implanted by the Holy Spirit somehow, uh, then he avoids the sin curse. But of course, we know that DNA is contributed by both the male and the female today. And so that still doesn't work. Jesus still gets the curse of sin from Eve. Uh, and to say he doesn't is to say that sin even is, is even a more specialized kind of magic 
in that it only attaches itself uh, to the male genes. The the, uh, the idea kind of falls apart uh, really, really bad. Let's uh, let's see if I can pick up. Um, uh, means yeah. I think the explanation Romans five eighteen and nineteen to which you and David in his reply uh, to me refer. The condemnation, verse 18, was physical death, and because of Adam's sin, all humankind are made sinners, verse 19, in that, as a consequence of our mortality, we have inherited the universal propensity and inevitability of sin. I think I've covered that sufficiently. But Jesus was able to not sin because of his divine nature, which allowed him to overcome the propensity to sin. Uh, I think I've covered that too. It doesn't really make any sense to me. Um, and uh, she does go and make a book recommendation. Uh, that'll be in the notes. Uh, let me read one more from this series. And uh, this is from Joyce to me because I, I did write Joyce. Uh, and she says, Thanks for your response. Please uh, see my reply to Dale. Uh, read Romans 5, 8. 18 and 19, I held to that traditional view of original sin until uh, uh, very recently when, as I wrote to Dale, I read through Heiser's series of blog posts related to Romans 5.12 and related verses. I no longer believe that the Bible teaches we inherit guilt from Adam as well. I no longer believe that the Bible teaches the concept of spiritual death. I no longer believe that the Bible teaches uh, the concept of spiritual death. I think that's a theological invention. It's contrived, not derived from Scripture. Joyce, you have just planted, uh, firmly planted yourself in front of a horde of Christians, not just from our time, but from the second century probably and own who very much disagree with you. Uh, I, I always question the kind of new insight that turns all of orthodoxy on its ear. So I'm going to let the commenters deal with that. And I assure you that uh, when the comments come in, it won't be the next show probably, but on uh, future shows, we will return to this and uh, see how you are faring. Uh, yes, I definitely believe in a literal Adam and Eve. As you pointed out in the podcast, Jesus believed in literal Adam and Eve. Now, you have to understand part of where this is coming from, from Joyce, is that we have to have um, you have to have a literal Adam and Eve. This is one of the things that I said. And a literal Adam and Eve does not make sense in any version of an old earth uh, view. You kind of have to be a yak, which is a young earth creationist, uh, to make a literal Adam and Eve make sense. Uh, and so she is coming to this. I think an alternative to consider is an interpretation of Genesis 1 in which the 24-hour days of creation do not occur in the time frame of one literal week. So what she's saying is, yeah, they're literal days, but it's not a literal week. So in the first 24-hour day, God made light and separated light from darkness. On the second 24-hour day, he separated the water from above and below. But this second 24-hour day may not necessarily immediately follow the first day. 
The biblical text does not require it. There could well be a lengthy time uh, lapse between the 24-hour days. Thus, the age of the earth would be consistent with the archaeological evidence. And uh, just uh, in case those people out there are not familiar with the archaeological evidence, I would put the earth uh, at about four and a half billion years, the universe at about 13.7 billion years. Uh, And so uh, the explanation, uh, she goes on, is one presently, uh, I'm sorry, one presented by Lennox in his little book, Seven Days That Divide the World. Uh, Now, she does conclude, I'm really enjoying your uh, congenial conversation with Dale. Please pass along my thanks to Andrew for his uh, production efforts with the website and podcast. So let me just pass that along to Andrew right now, and now I will take it away. Because once again, um, Andrew actually doesn't do anything on this website or the podcast. So this is all my production effort. I will take the praise and blame. Uh, And so I don't want Andrew to get tagged with uh, some of the problems that we have on the podcast and the website. Um, He does a a very good job over at Reason Press. We're doing something very different over here at Skeptics and Seekers. Uh, So uh, just just so you know, there's a little bit of difference in the the production strategies there. And thanks for telling me about iTunes where I can scroll backwards to re-listen uh, to segments in the podcast of Real Time Saver. Will Joyce, I imagine so. Um, if you were to do that with this podcast, as long as it's going, it would probably take you three days to get through the whole thing. And so I am glad that you can get through it in about an hour and however long uh, this podcast has lasted. Now, like I said, there are many other comments. Uh, and let me just look here. Yeah, it looks like we're at about 50, 53 minutes. So, yeah, we're, we're probably going to make it under an hour. There are many other comments. We will get to the other comments. As you can see, this conversation with Joyce and Dale was very interesting. It was worth stopping to talk about. And I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Uh, if you want me to go over your lengthy conversations that overturn orthodoxy, I'll be watching for them, and they will show up in a podcast just like this one. We've got feedback that has been uh, put in our feedback list. We've got uh, direct responses from skepticsandseekers at gmail.com. That's skepticsandseekers at gmail.com. Please direct your comments there, uh, because it's very easy for me to pick them up out of that email address. But also... uh, For any show, like, say, this one, there'll be a show page and you can leave comments at the bottom of those shows. I get those as well. And uh, you can get that show page from skepticsandseekers.wordpress.com. Yeah, that's skepticsandseekers.wordpress.com. And you know, all those places where I said, yeah, you know what, I'll leave a link. I'll leave a link. That's where I'll be leaving the link. So be sure to go to skepticsandseekers.wordpress.com. If you want to see some of the resources mentioned. Uh, Now, I just want to finish this up uh, with a comment from Michael Brady, if that's your real name. Oh, wait. He was one of the co-authors of Still Unbelievable. That that actually is his real name. Um, He says, Gentlemen, with respect, I submit that the title of your program, Skeptics and Seekers, is misleading. 
A skeptic would be open to influence. A seeker would not stop to defend an orthodox, Molinistic, evangelical. Sorry about that. That's my phone, people. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna edit this out. Are you crazy? Um, let's see. Uh, Molinistic, evangelical, Protestant Christianity. David is a debunker, and Dale is an apologist. All that said, I certainly realize that a podcast titled Debunkers and Apologists lacks in oh so many ways. In any case, you're off to a strong start. Please keep at it with hammer and tongs. Michael. First of all, Michael, you're right. Uh, all that's true. So, yeah, there's that. Uh, what I ended up saying to Michael is what I will end up saying to you, dear listener. When we began this program, we did uh, think of ourselves as the voice of the skeptic and the voice of the seeker. But don't think of it as being exactly the skeptic and seeker. Think of us more of the image bearer of the skeptic and the image bearer of the seeker. Does that make any sense? Anyway, actually, that's not what I said to him. What I actually said was, consider our audience the skeptics and the seekers. And if there are any skeptics and seekers out there who benefit uh, from this podcast, please sound out. We appreciate all of those who follow the podcast, who like the blog posts. We will be reading you out in future supplementals. And uh, thank you so much, Michael, for your uh, contribution to the book, Still Unbelievable. I might just include that in the uh, notes as well if I'm feeling wild and crazy. And thank you for uh, all who are listening and commenting. Keep it going. We'll see you next time.